I know it's late, so I'm not going to preach long today, but, uh, man, the presence of God has been so wonderful already. But I want to share something with you today. We need to hear this. God changed my message this morning. My wife and I were talking today. She's at home. She's got whatever Marissa had. The doctor said it was the bad kind of flu. I don't know what that means. I didn't know there was a good kind, but anyway, she says she got the bad kind, so please lift her up and little Marissa today. We were talking this morning, and the Lord just really stirred my heart about this message. And it's concerning the church. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, it says, And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Upon this rock I, Jesus, will build my church. You know, I don't know if you've come to this revelation yet, but I, I have reached a place in my life where I realized that uh, I didn't find the Lord. I was lost and he found me. And if that is true, then we must realize that Jesus Christ has personally handpicked every member of his church. I mean, if he's that good shepherd that left the 99 and went out and gathered up the one, then that means that Jesus has personally picked everyone who's a part of his church. And so he's the builder of his church. Matter of fact, the word of God says in Acts that the spirit added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so that means God who doesn't make any mistakes has brought all the right people into his family. And that through his sovereignty, he is building his church. And his church has a threefold mission. The threefold mission of the church is number one, to evangelize the world. That's what we exist for. That is called the great commission. Go in all the world and make disciples. Amen. Secondly, we are a corporate body of praise. When we come together, we praise God not as a person but as a people. God inhabits the praises of his people. The when the children of God came together and worshiped God, we have all the Old Testament manifestations of the presence of God, the fire, the cloud, the glory cloud. Uh, we have all those manifestations of the presence of God when they came together as God's people. That's one of the greatest promises that we have in Scripture is that when two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst. Man, it's not about church size. It's about the presence of God. And when we come together in the name of the Lord, he has committed and promised to us that his presence will be there. Now, we know God is everywhere, and we know you can have a glorified fit all by yourself. Just put in the right tape, play the music, and some of you, and the presence of God is there. But there's something unique about the manifestation of the presence of God as we gather. It has been distinguished scripturally. Amen. It is the manifestation of his 
presence. There's something about coming together where the veil is rent and we are now, even though God is everywhere, somehow the human veil is rent and we are now able to be more aware of the presence of God. Have you feel the presence of God when you come in the house of God? That's very important. But then there's the third reason that the church exists. And this is the reason I want to talk to you about because the church is failing in this mission. And that is to be an agency for the sanctification of the believer. In other words, it is the mission of the church to create an atmosphere that brings sanctification to the believer. Now, because sanctification is so misunderstood, um, many of you may not even really realize what I'm talking about right now because, you know, we've got so many connotations of the word uh, sanctification, depending on how we grew up. For some of us, we think sanctified means long hair and, and uh, women wearing dresses. Amen. For some people, people uh, they just understand the terminology sanctified means set apart. But see, it's not until we first understand righteousness and justification can we truly understand sanctification. You see, holiness is an attribute of God. So no man has the power to make himself holy. There's nothing that you could do to cleanse yourself from your sins. Matter of fact, you could do all the religious good deeds in the world. And the Bible says all your righteousness is as filthy rags. So all your right doing could never save you. You could be the best kid. You could never, you could be a good person. And see, that's the problem with America. We, America thinks good people go to heaven. They're wrong. Saved people go to heaven. The Bible's full of good people that went to hell. King Agrippa said, thou almost persuaded me. You know, Felix almost got the message, but he didn't. Nothing in the Bible about these being bad people, but they didn't make it. Matter of fact, there was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And when Jesus said, well, you got to pay your tithes. You got to go to church. You got to keep the law. And he said, I've done all these things from my youth. And then Jesus told him, you need to sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And he went away sorrowful. Never received the kingdom. He was a good man, but he went to hell. It's a lie and it is biblically wrong to think that because you're good, you ask most people today, they think if their good outweighs their bad, when they get to heaven, they're going to get to go. Let me tell you something. There's only one thing going to get you to heaven. That's the blood of Jesus. I said, that's the blood of Jesus. Just touch somebody and say, I'm washed in the blood. Come on, do that. And so it is critical that we understand that even though now we have been washed in the blood and we are now holy, we're clean, we're justified just as if I had never sinned. That doesn't mean we're yet sanctified. Sanctified is coming into a place of spiritual maturity. It is when we are set apart for the service and work of the Lord. It's when we begin to develop the fruit of the Spirit. It is habitual good works. It is when the mind has now been renewed to the point where that we don't have to stop it from swearing anymore. Because that stronghold is defeated. We don't have to go through the count backwards from 10 to keep from losing our temper. We've been sanctified. 
Now, I told you I wasn't going to preach long, but I want to get this in your spirit today because this message, it, it, in a sense, is about sanctification, but I'm not going to be preaching on sin today. Okay, so don't get nervous. I'm not here to fry anybody today. I just want you to understand what sanctification is. As we become sanctified, we go longer and longer times without having to run back to salvation's well and say, God, forgive me, I messed up. When people begin to get spiritually mature, now that's no longer even really a goal for a lot of people in the church, but we should desire to be sanctified, to be set apart for the work of the Lord. And to be set apart for that work, the Bible begins to tell us that even as we are set apart for the work of the Lord, as we move up in those positions, the standard goes up. So sanctification is not just being a good person and not just being a pretty good Christian, but it literally begins to say, okay, now we, we have to abstain from things like gossip. We have to abstain. We have to have our house in order. Amen. In order to serve at a certain level, to be sanctified at a greater level. Amen. We got to have our house in order. We've got to have, we can't be uh, a drunkard. We have to be a person of a good reputation. We have to get to the place where our good is not evil spoken of, where we entertain, uh, uh, we don't even entertain things. Amen. That are evil. Why? Because we're being set apart. And And the higher we go up in God, the more we're being set apart. And some people don't even realize, they think that's a process just for preachers. But you see, they don't realize that their anointing to teach follows the same process. And so if you want young people in your class getting saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, you have to follow that same process. Amen. If you want to work with the youth and see the glory of God bring revival, you have to follow that same process. Amen. If you want to see the glory of God fall on the praise and worship, then you have to follow that same process. If you're a singer and you want to sing and you want more anointing, you have to follow that same process. Because why? God anoints that which has been set apart. Are you following me there? Okay, so now that we understand that and the sanctification should be a goal, then let me talk to you about what I want to talk to you about. And that is the fact that this third mission of the church, we are failing in this mission. And we're failing in it because of bad theology and bad ecclesiology. Bad theology, amen, we're not following the right, we're not valuing what God values. What are you saying? Have you believe, having me just shared what I did, that God values sanctification? He not only values it, but he pours his anointing out upon it. That which has been sanctified for the work of the Lord, God anoints. See, you think just because you got saved, you anointed. (laughs) No. No, 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 no. I've met people just got saved. They get up to sing. There ain't nothing going on right there. You know what I'm saying? They just, they still in the club. It's karaoke, charismatic karaoke time. Because why? Because they haven't been sanctified. It's all about them. It's all about them getting the glory. They got some talent. They think they arrived. They think there's somebody. Got the wrong spirit. Amen. But it takes a while for them to get sanctified. But as God begins to sanctify them, all of a sudden, amen, the anointing begins to come up on what they do. All of a sudden, they're hidden behind the cross. And they begin to realize their role, that it's not an audience of uh, 150. It's an audience of one. And they're singing to God. And all of a sudden, the anointing begins to flow on their life. Amen. It's powerful. It's like the story of the young man that got up to preach and 
I mean, when he came up into the pulpit, you know, his attitude was these people are about to hear something like they've never heard before in their entire lives. And man, when he got up there, he failed miserably. The people were unmoved and sullen and, and totally disconnected from what he said. And when he walked down, he said, he said under his breath, he said, I am really a nobody. I have totally failed. And there was an old preacher standing there and he said, son, you would have done fine if you'd have went up the way you came down. Amen. What does this have to do with the threefold mission of the church? Let me tell you something. God is not stupid. Matter of fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say God's pretty smart. Amen. I like what John said. I get smart with God. God gets smart with me. Matter of fact, even when you're not smart with God, when you're stupid with God, God's smart with you. Because God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God is pure truth. And so God knew what he was doing when he put the church together. He knew what he was doing when he built TLC. He knew exactly what he was doing. God puts you right into the path of people that are going to aggravate you. That are going to test you and try you. God knew exactly what he was doing when he partnered you up in your marriage. He put somebody in your life that was going to teach you the meaning of the word patience. Do you understand that? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Where do you think sanctification comes from? And you see, the problem we have in the church world today is that we have adopted this modern Facebook relationship where everything is superficial. And I've noticed a pattern of people that when relationship requires them to change, now you listen to what I'm about to say to you and it'll save your soul. It'll keep you from never being sanctified to do the work of God. There are people that are not at this church right now for only one reason. They're running from the call of God that's on their life. And if they don't plug in somewhere where they can be sanctified, they'll never do anything for God. Mark my words for it. They'll never fulfill the call of God to preach on their life. Listen, they may go to church the rest of their life. That's fine. Someone came to me a while back. Do you believe it was God that this person's gone or that, per that person's gone? I said, that's not how I look at it. There's a high call. There's a low call. They've chosen the low call. Their life is not going to be about ministry. They're not going to follow that path. Doesn't mean they're not going to go to heaven. Doesn't mean they're not friends of mine. Doesn't mean we don't love them with all of our heart. Doesn't mean that they're not good Christian people. But they will not accomplish the high call of God. Because the high call of God requires sanctification. And they're running from the people that are forcing the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Say, what are you talking about? Rather than change, they change location. And most of the time, people will run to a bigger church where that all the relationships are superficial. And there's no depth of relationship. And if there's no depth of the relationship, then I don't need the fruit of the Spirit. I don't need the fruit of the Spirit to walk into a room once a week and meet someone who's a perfect stranger to me other than I know their name and their occupation and be nice. Where, where does the fruit of the Spirit come in for that? No, I need to know them well enough 
to place expectations upon them and then have them frustrate my expectations. Amen? And I'm just going to go out on a limb here and I'm just going to say something to you. Don't tell me you love me till you know me. Okay, no offense because I know that you do love me. And there is a love that says, hey, you know, I love you, brother. I love all Christians. I, hey, I love ice cream. That's the same kind of love. You know what I'm saying? That's the same kind of love. But there's a deeper agape love. There's a deeper love, amen, that goes beyond that. And the reason the love of Jesus is so incredible, amen, one songwriter put it like this. He knew me, yet he loved. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We ought to give God a praise for that right there. He knew me, yet he loved me. That's real love. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's a love, amen, that looks beyond my faults and sees my needs. But it's like, well, I need to move away from this. Why? Because it's trying my patience. I need to move away from this because I'm giving more than I'm getting. So I need to learn long-suffering. I've got to move away from this, but you see, they're moving away from their teacher. This is God's will. See, I spent years trying to get gossip out of the church. You can't get gossip out of the church. Gossip is something that God uses. You say, why? Because if there wasn't gossip in the church, then we wouldn't learn the hard way that death and life are in the power of the tongue and grow out of gossip. See, because when you're a sinner, you're full of gossip. You say, why? Because you're full of sin. And sin loves God. Don't tell me the world doesn't love gossip. Jerry Springer, Star Magazine, you know, Variety Magazine, People Magazine, Inquirer Magazine. The world's making millions and millions of dollars on gossip. People can't get enough of it. And when we come into the church, we think we're just automatically going to be cured of that. Why? No, we're not. But let us get into relationship. Let some loose lips say a few things. And what are we going to learn from that? We're going to learn not to do it ourselves. Amen? We're going to learn to guard our tongues. We're going to learn some very spiritual, scriptural things. We're going to have to develop the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And yet we're trying to fix that. We can't fix that. That's human nature. And guess what? God knew that when he put the church together. Have you understand that? See, we haven't come to the place where we realize that God is so incredible that he's using our shortcomings, not just what's good about us. He's using what's bad about us. See, the reason you don't know that is because he's using what's bad about you to help somebody else. See, because you don't even know it's bad yet. You just run in your mouth. You don't even know. You don't even have a clue. You, you still one of them people think, well, as long as I say let's pray about it, it's not gossip. It's a prayer request. And so you're one of those people, and that's fine. But see, God's using you to test that person next to you that knows better, and they shut their mouth a long time ago, but they haven't learned how to shut their ears yet. And they need to learn that if they're ever going to be sanctified. If you're ever going to do anything for God, you got to be over that. Do you understand what I'm saying today? You got to grow beyond that. I'm just going to tell you right now. You, you, you can't preach this gospel and not know people are going to talk about you. 
You don't survive. I see these people come out of Bible college and they say right now 75% of those who do a four-year degree at an Assembly of God Bible college five years later are out of the ministry. Five years later. Why? When you talk to them, church hurt. Church hurt. I just heard the, the wonderful testimony the other day that a couple that got literally thrown out of this little backwood church that should have thanked God that this couple was willing to go there and be their pastor and work a job to be their pastor, ate their breakfast, lunch, and dinner, brought them up on false charges, and even though they were uh, 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 redeemed of all the charges, the district still said, you might as well leave because nobody here likes you. And they were so church hurt that their marriage was broke up and they weren't even going to church anymore. Thank God I talked to this young lady's father and she said, man, they're back together. They're back on fire. They're doing okay. But it was just such a painful, painful thing that they went through. Well, see, that's because when you go into ministry, you have to already have learned death and life from the power and tongue. You already got to be prepared for that stuff. You got to know human nature. You got to know people or you ain't going to make it. Two years in that church, two years out. And all it did was eat their lunch. We had a couple came here for a long time. It was, they were so church hurt. They, they pastored this church for four years. And they were so church hurt over that that they began to literally change their eschatology to affect this dysfunctional congregation. Amen. And instead of, instead of adjusting that congregation to biblical eschatology, they begin to adjust their own eschatology towards the hurt and the problems that were there. And someone told me one time, I remember they were here and they said, you know, all a church has to do is love. That's all we have to do is love. That's all you ever have to do is love. And if we just love, then that's all we have to do. And we get up and we preach on love and we talk about love. And, and you know what? They, they started their own church and they got the love church and there's eight people over there loving each other. And they've been four years with eight people loving each other and four of them family. You say, well, why, why is it? Because that's unbalanced. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? I'm, try, I'm trying to say we're running from the people that God has put in our life. And let me tell you what happens. When we choose that path of going shallow, well, I'm just going to pull back from everybody. And I'm just going to, hi, how you doing? And then we, we come in, we go out, and we don't know nobody, and we don't know nobody's business, and we're not involved, and we're not connected, and we don't know what's going on, and, and, and so forth like that. And then we just, and we get to that point, literally those people, that eschatology begins to change the relationships even in their own family. You say, why? Because your family affects your eschatology because the church is the family of God. So as we try to relate to one another, oftentimes we all bring our dysfunctional family issues into our eschatology and it becomes how we relate to church. And we try to relate to church the way we relate to our dysfunctional family. And see, the thing about dysfunctional families is most of us don't know they're dysfunctional. Have you, have you, you weren't an adult until you knew there's anything wrong in your family. But after you became an adult, you realize, hey, we were pretty messed up. We, we did okay considering, you know, we messed up. Some of you afraid to raise your hand. Your parents are here. That's okay. I saw it in your eye. I saw you raise your hands with your eyes. I saw both of your hands, brother. Come on, put them down. Your mom's right behind you, man. <laughs> 
But what I'm saying is most of the time we don't know that when we're coming up, so we bring that dysfunction into the church. And see, God knows that. What did God say? God said, I'm going to put you together like members fitly joined together. That means before we can come together, God has to knock off all those rough edges. Before we can fit tightly together, all that coarseness and hardness and issues with anger and self-esteem, they all come to the surface in the church. And are we going to run from that? And hide in the shallows, or are we going to allow there to be a deep work of sanctification in our life where we say to ourselves, I've got to forgive my brother seven times seven. If, they, if, I, if I loan him money, it's, I have to be like I gave it to him. And, and if they ask for the coat, I'm going to give them my vest also. See, the standard of love within the church is so high. Why? Because God wants us to realize that even those people that are offending us are helping us. Thank you. You showed me something inside my... I didn't know I could get that mad anymore. I thought all the mad was out of me. But I'll tell you what, you did it. (laughs) My kids couldn't do it. My wife couldn't do it. But bless God, you, you, God bless you, you did it. And I'm going to take that to the Lord and I'm going to develop the fruit of temperance. So God can take me to another level. I'm going to take where you've tried my patience. I'm going to take where you violated my trust. I'm going to take those things and I'm going to learn Christ's forgiveness. Let me, tell you, let me tell you a word God gave me for a man of God and I couldn't give it if I hadn't lived it. But the word of the Lord for this man of God was, don't cry because you prayed to know me and I sent you a Judas last year. See, we sit around praying, oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his suffering. Well, you can't know Jesus unless you walk where Jesus walked. And until a brother, you know what I'm talking about? I said a brother or a sister. Come on, stabs you in the back. You don't know Jesus. You think you know Jesus, but you don't know what he went through. You think you know what he went through. But you prayed to know, and so God sent it into your life, and instead of celebrating it and recognizing the fact that if he has revealed to me the sufferings, then he will also reveal to me the resurrection power. Because I can't have the resurrection power without the cross. Now, this is a little deep for some of you today because some of you, I know you came to Jesus. You thought you were going to get out of all your troubles. But I'm talking to the group of people that are here today that deep calls to deep and you want to know him. You've come to the place like the Apostle Paul where you don't care about nothing else, but I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. I want to know everything about him. If he felt it, I want to feel it. If he walked through it, I want to walk through it. If they're his thoughts, I want them to be my thoughts. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And we can't get there without this incredible work of sanctification. And yet many of us, we're just, we're running from the very thing. We're running, we got family members that irritate us, so we just cut them off. No, you need to go over there and let them pick that sword till you get free. 
God's will wasn't for you to avoid everybody that makes you angry. God's answer was to get the anger out of you. You know, a lot of times we ask God for things that God doesn't even do. I can't tell you how many choleric, control freak people with major anger issues, all they ever do is talk about how everybody makes them angry. If, if the whole world would just drive right, if the whole world would do everything they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it, if the whole world would just be perfect, I wouldn't have an anger problem. And so they spend all their time trying to fix the world. And guess what? You can't fix the world. You can't control other people, but you can control yourself. And if you can control yourself and gain the fruit of temperance, guess what? It's not such a bad world after all. We run from what we should embrace. The old timers came to church and, man, preacher, hit me if you can. I mean, come on. If there's anything in my life, get it out of me, man. I want to run for Jesus. If there's a weight, get it, get it off of me. And, man, they got crazy with it. They got to where they celebrated it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they legalized it. Pretty soon they'd have revival and the evangelists would show up and say, the Bible says don't drink strong drink and you're all drinking that Coca-Cola and it's full of caffeine and people laid down the Coke, brought the Coke to the altar, went home and threw the Coke out the window for Jesus. Someone else come along and says, man, you got white wall tires on on your car because you got pride in your heart. And they was all turning their tires inside out, putting the black walls out. And I'm not, I don't want to run back to, to that nonsense. But in the process of throwing out the legalism, we lost the passion to let go of real weights. Because, yeah, we're not up here talking about women wearing dresses and everybody needs to be like Holly Hobby. But modesty is a scriptural, biblical standard. Don't show up in the house of God in your mini skirt. Don't do it. It doesn't honor God. Don't come to church with your, with, with your business all out in the street. <laughs> no, sir. Because the Bible sets a standard. And we don't want to reject that standard. We've got to get back to the place where, and what is the standard of the word of God? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's a whole lot harder than white wall tires. They had it easy. If your hair was long, your dress was long, you were all right. But how do you know the standard's a whole lot higher than that? What is the standard? Love? Joy? Joy? Joy! I said joy's the standard. I mean, every time we have church, there's four people we got to call off and cast off the demon of depression. My God, you're depressed, you're worried, you're full of fear. And that's not even the standard. God's not trying to get you back to zero. God's trying to get you to joy. Man, we're children of God. We ought to be bubbling. My God, some of you haven't bubbled in years. You haven't bubbled since your last surprise birthday party. I mean, my God, we're, the standard is joy. And then what? Peace. Oh, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, oh, oh. 
everything's a crisis. The world is, I mean, the sky is raining fires, hail balls the size of, of Volkswagens. Everything's a crisis. No, peace. Christians are supposed to walk in peace. And so we lowered the, st- we, we, we threw out the legalism, but then we also, as we threw out the legalism, we threw out the passion for sanctification. Oh, I want to be sanctified. I want to be set apart for the work of God. I want the glory of God to move in my life. I don't want to go to work and witness and recite some poem that I memorized. I want the Holy Ghost to tell me what to say. I want to go to the water cooler and I want to be like Jesus when he met the woman at the well. Well, that's the anointing. That's learning to function and to flow in the anointing. And God doesn't anoint that which has not been sanctified. And see, you think that you're running towards peace, but it's a temporary peace. Because after time goes by and you do not reach those spiritual goals and it does not achieve the anointing in your life, then comes frustration. And when frustration comes, there goes all your peace again and I've watched over the years and I've been I've been pastoring long enough now to honestly say I've literally watched people lose 5 10 and 20 years of their life I could point my finger to people that because somebody hurt their feelings and instead of them rising to that occasion and seeing that as an opportunity to reveal the fact that there was healing and development that needed to happen in their own life, they stepped away from it, and 20 years later, they're trying to get back into ministry. 20 years later, they're trying to get back into doing what God wants them to do because the gift and the call of God are without repentance, and you will never, ever be as fulfilled as you can be when you accomplish what God puts you here on this planet to do. There's nothing else in this world that will fulfill you to that level. And I don't want to be 60 years old and wake up and realize, hey, the whole world didn't need to change. I needed to change. I want to stay right where God put me with the people that God put in my life because he knew that I needed somebody to drive me nuts. If I was ever going to do what God called me to do, I was going to have to have that. My daddy was hard. When I was, in the, when I was coming up, he was hard. He wasn't nice and sweet like he is now. Y'all hear him come preach and he jokes around. He wasn't like that back in the day. I don't know who that man is. That's the one that raised my older sisters, but he did not raise the first three of us that way at all. I'd be over there playing the piano right in the middle of the church. He'd just look at me and say, that don't sound sanctified. Quit it. Okay. I don't know what I did wrong. I've only ever played Christian music my whole life. So if it sounded worldly, I don't know. But it sounded too worldly. So you know what I did? Quit. I mean, that's the way it was. I get up and preach. I got done preaching all the way home. Oh, boy, you did a really good job on this, James. But if you ever say this again, I'm going to come take the microphone away from you. And correct you openly. (laughs) Because this is what the Bible said. It didn't say that. It says this. You can't say it that way. I know what you meant, but it's not what you said. I mean, that's the way it was. You know, I remember when he, when he told me, he said, you're not going to play the bass here anymore. I said, but, but, but I love, I love to play the bass. 
And I was only like 12 years old. He said, yeah, but this other brother wants to play the bass. And he is not very spiritually mature. And so he has to have something to do when he comes to church or he won't be faithful. Boy, that cut a lot of people right there, didn't it? Well, that's not my point. Let me go on with the story. I said, but I'm better than him. He said, that don't matter. And I was. I was a better bass player than this guy. I'm like, man, you know, you're dropping the standard. He goes, but yeah, but you're going to play piano. I said, I don't know how to play the piano. He said, well, then you're going to want to figure it out or you're going to look pretty silly sitting up there every service because that's where you're going to sit till you figure it out. And I'm not joking. For two years, I could only play in the key of C. And I sat at the piano. And if they sang in C, I played. And if they didn't sing in C, I didn't play. And a rumor went around the church that I only liked certain singers. And that's why I would only play. Hey, I got trained for this. And so I remember I finally became 18. I knew everything. My father was making a huge mistake. And a matter of fact, to this day, if you asked him about it, I was right and he was wrong. Time has proven I was right. He was wrong. Should he have done it? No. But I remember he said, I'm the pastor and that's what we're going to do. And if I'm wrong, that's my business. And I thought, you know what? I'm 18 now. I don't have to put up with this. And I walked into the sanctuary and I was there by myself and I had a real pity party for myself. I said, man, this is not good. Going to hurt the church. I'm tired of building it up and the pastor tears it down. Anyone ever felt that way? Bring a whole row of visitors and pastor preaches a sermon like this that day. You're thinking, man, I know better than he does. He don't know what they needed today. I know what they needed. Man, I was just having a real time for myself. And I thought, you know what? I would probably do myself good to go sit under other pastors. Because if that's what God called me to do, I can sit under several different men of God. And I'll learn more that way, you know. And I'll expand my knowledge. And I'll never forget it. And, and the Lord spoke to me just sitting there at that piano that day by myself. And he said, you are sowing right now into the kind of people you're going to pastor. And he said, if you want to pastor people that will only follow you if they agree with you, then that's what you'll always have if you make this decision. And I began to repent. And I went to my father and I apologized. And I told him, you're the pastor, I'm not the pastor. And it's not my business to tell the pastor what to do. See, because what we don't realize when we only follow people that we agree with then we take away the leadership's ability to make mistakes and grow, and we all still get to the vision. Do you understand that? Read the Bible and find one leader that didn't fail at one time or another other than Jesus himself. Every man made a mistake along the way. And so if we don't make a commitment to the vision then all it takes is for me to make one mistake and the vision is lost. But if there are people who will submit and they'll go on and they'll respect the office, guess what? I've already figured out that some of the things I do were wrong and I won't ever do them like that again. That was my lesson. That was part of my growth process. So we can get to the vision. Have you understand that? 
And in the body of Christ, we have to be willing to be pliable and let God do a work in us. Change those things in us. To be able to look at people and say, listen, I know you don't agree with this decision, but this is the decision I have to make right now. And if I'm wrong, then God can show me and I can grow and I can learn and we can get there. We can still get there together because you've given me that grace because it is a grace that we expect. Amen. Have you expect grace when we mess up? We expect the pastor to forgive us. I mean, I've had people tell me, you have to forgive me, pastor. I mean, I've had them tell me that. I said, yes, but I also have to rebuke you. That's part of my job. So first the rebuke, then the forgiveness. So let's get this rebuke out of the way. All right, because you're holding it up. You keep talking. (laughs) All I'm trying to say to you today is we need to begin to celebrate those around us that God has put in our life that challenge us. Quit trying to fix them and fix yourself. We lead best as an example. I said we lead best by our example. No one ever taught humility by screaming at someone telling them you need to be humble. And no one ever learned it from someone being screaming at them to tell them that. They learn it by your example. And sanctification is one of the threefold missions. It's why God put the church here. It's an incredible part of this mission and this journey. And if we could get hungry to be sanctified and let the Holy Spirit sanctify us, you don't know what God can do in your life. You have no idea what God can do with you. You have not even imagined all things are possible with Christ. And so don't run from those people that challenge you. Run to them. Embrace them. Learn to love your enemies. Think about that. Not just tolerate them, not just forgive them, but literally love them. How you know when you love something, you thank God for it? You're appreciative of it. I've come to the place where I love and appreciate my enemies because they exposed my shortcomings. And they showed me how that I could be more like Jesus. Because it wasn't until somebody was beating on me with their words that I realized that I didn't have it in me to lay there like a lamb. It wasn't until I started defending myself that I realized that I'm not like Jesus. Miguel made me so nervous when he used that term, you know, the perfect. It was just, it made me nervous, brother, because I'm not. And it won't take you long to find my shortcomings and see where I fall short. I'm trying to be an example. And I appreciate you looking up to me. I pray that God makes me worthy of that. I pray that he does. But it's not until sometimes that we face some things. I haven't faced some things. The Bible makes this incredible statement, you've not yet resisted unto death. Some of us, we think we know we got it all together, but man, we just really haven't come to that place where we have to die to ourselves. And the only thing that will require that of us in our society today, listen, it's not going to be some government official with a machine gun coming through the door. No. I'm going to be honest with you. It's probably going to be your wife. Probably going to be your kids. It's probably going to be your preacher. It's going to be somebody that you love. It's going to be your best friend. 
It's going to be that person that brings you to that place to where you find out, am I really dead? Because I love what Johnny used to say. I mean, I just love it. He used to say, you can't threaten a dead man. You can't threaten a dead man. You can't, listen, you can't get a response out of a dead man. You can't get anger out of a dead man. I've laid myself down for the purposes of God. Amen. And yet God has chosen his church. God selected him. Thank God. God gave you that child. He gave you that hyperactive child. He knew what you needed. He knew what you needed. And yet how many of you have met somebody with a disabled child that there's something about their spirit that is so sweet and so pure and so pleasing and pleasant. It's just, how many of you have met someone in those kind of horrible circumstances and there's such a joy that's in their spirit. It's amazing. God knew what would bring that out. We're running from our destiny when we run from those who are sanctifying us. I want to challenge you to go deep in your relationships. I'm going to challenge you, love one another. I'm going to challenge you, let the mask down. I want to challenge you, those people in your life that that irritate you, go spend some time with them and find out what it is that's in you that they're picking at. Find out what it is that's in you that's not dead, that it's bringing life to it. Listen, I'm going to tell you, if you can feel the pain of it, it ain't dead. I mean, death is, death is pretty bad, but I'm just going to tell you right now, when you die, the pain stops. Amen. What is it that keeps bringing that out? And begin to celebrate the work of sanctification in your life. Because God has great things in store for you. And if he didn't, he'd have left you without any trouble. He'd have left you without anybody to test you or try you. He'd have let you build those walls and left you behind that fortress of solitude. But God has chosen to place you in his body and put it in your heart to do something for him. And he's going to put people around you. They're going to frustrate you. They're going to test you. They're going to try you. But if you let them, they're going to be an agency for the sanctification of your life and the preparation for what God has for you to do. Amen. I stood at my brother's funeral and I told a couple of stories. Just one, really, I guess. And then I said this. My brother, before God, tortured me for the first 16 years of my life. Night and day, He tortured me. And yet I can't think of anything that he could have done different that would make me miss him any more than what I do. Because he made me strong. He made me tough. I remember when I was in preschool in the second grade and I got in trouble for beating up a sixth grader that was twice my size. And I remember when this guy came at me and started his junk, I looked at him and thought, he ain't near as big as my brother, and I fight him every day. What is he going to do? He made me tough. He made me strong. Amen. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. We're running from family. Family does that. (laughs) Have you know, nobody can get you like family can. Nobody can get you like family. Nobody does it like family. Family just raw, just raw. I remember I put on a bunch of weight when Brenda was pregnant. 
you know, sympathy cravings. She'd wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning needing White Castle, and I had to go get them. So, you know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to White Castle, and I smell I'm like, well, give me four White Castles, you know. I'll eat some, too. I put on about 30 pounds. Soon as we walked into the house, it's Thanksgiving dinner. The table's set. I see my baby sister, Becky, for the first time in two years, and she looks at me and says, My God, James, I thought Brenda was pregnant, not you. That's what family does. Welcome to family. Family will let you know you get fat. You need to do something about that. What are you doing? I mean, she teased me the whole time there. She acted like she wouldn't sit beside me. She's afraid of going to eat her arm off. Or I was so self-conscious the whole meal. I mean, it's Thanksgiving. I can't enjoy it. I'm thinking, man, I wonder how many calories are in turkey. <laughs> That's what family does. It's raw, but that's what real church does too. And if we'll listen in that, there's something that will make us better. There's something in, the, there's something in that we need to hear. There's something in that we needed some temperance. I could have lost it right there, but I didn't lose it. God gave me grace. He was getting me ready for some of the things I was going to hear you said about me. And I'm just letting it go. Don't worry about it. I love you anyway. Doesn't matter. You ain't even family yet. You ain't even trying hard. You, you got to put some thought into it. You want to put me down. <laughs> you want to discourage me, you got to work harder than that. Praise the Lord. Because you don't. Because this is how my family treats me. I'm liable to hug you. You say something like that to me. I'm just going to run up. <laughs> hey, welcome to the family. Praise God sanctification that's so powerful i want you to stand with me i know it's been different today i'm sorry we went a little longer than i thought we would but it's been a great service but i want us to learn i want us to create a culture in our church where we value this we don't run from it amen we value this let's value this we're we're in this together and we're going to work this out and when we're done we're going to fitly join together and we're going to make something incredible something that i'm not big enough to do it there ain't enough in me to do it you're not big enough to do it but together it's glorious it's powerful it's world changing it's going to set this city on fire amen that's what god wants to do have you believed that have you been through some of what i talked to you about today amen don't hide from them don't run from them embrace them because your calling is locked up in that person. Your anointing is locked up in that person. God's doing that for a reason because he wants you to know how to minister to that kind of person. He wants, he wants you to hear the voice in their cry. He wants you to come to that place, amen, where you know hurting people hurt people. And he wants you to be mature enough that when you hear that, you step right on past the hurtful words and see the pain that's inside of them and speak to that and bring life and healing. And instead of being just one more person that responds to their anger, you're oil and wine that changes their life forever. Amen. That's what God wants to do. Father, I pray for this people today. I pray that you'll make us one in the faith, one in the spirit, God. Lord, I pray make us of one call. In Jesus' name, I pray there would be unity. I pray that you would put us together and God challenge us. Give us honest conversation, not shallow. But God, let us grow deep.
Give us words of encouragement, God. Give us words that will strengthen one another. But God, let us not be afraid to challenge one another. Let us not be afraid, Heavenly Father, to, to, to look around and find that person that challenges us, that stirs us, God. That your spirit might do a work within us, God. That, Lord, even as we laid around this altar today, there would be a baptism of fire. There would be a transformation. That, God, it's not about how we start, but it's about how we finish. And, God, there's a miracle at work right here at TLC. Something is happening in the spirit realm. You're preparing us for revival, God. The spirit is moving. And we will not let the enemy rob us of that, God. We are going to walk in the spirit. We will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We are going to walk in the spirit. We're going to reach our destiny, God. Lord, there are preachers and prophets in the making, God. There are evangelists and there are apostles, God. Lord, there are teachers that are in the making, God. There are souls that are in the balance God and the enemy will not scatter us but God we're going to draw together in the name of Jesus and God we're going to be empowered because of it in Jesus name I pray amen I'm going to ask you for one more thing before you leave today turn to the person that's next to you give them a great big hug and with all the faith and confidence that you can you tell them say listen I want you to tell me just like it is Amen. Tell me just like it is. Don't hold anything back. Man, if you got anything that'll help, tell me. I need to hear it. I'm ready for it. Can you do that? Get the person behind you. Get the person down the row. Amen. We release you today. Praise the Lord. Good news. All the other churches let out an hour ago. They're already out of the restaurants. You can go straight in. No waiting. That's my gift to you this morning. We... Thank God for you. Thank God for you today.